Hello and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts and on this podcast I discuss 21st century Icelandic film with my good friend Ellie Cawthorn. We've reached the final leg of another journey around the cinema of Iceland. Incredible. And we're ending in a little fishing village near Seyðisfjörður on the east coast of the country for Guðmundur Arna Guðmundsson's coming-of-age drama Heartstone or Hjartastein from 2016. Not to be confused with Heart of Stone, which is a spy film starring Jamie Dornan and Gal Gadot that's currently filming in Iceland. Thank you to Leanne Fox on Twitter for the great recommendation and to everyone who has engaged with us on social media over the last few weeks and months. We can always be found on Twitter and Instagram, even between series, where we're at KVIKMYNDAPOD. I hope that's now seared into all your minds, just as it is in mine. I'll be back at the end to say thanks again, but for now, here's our final chat of the series. It's really sunny, Ellie. Oh, and we can't even see the sun because we've had to block it out to make the sound better. So I hope everybody at home is appreciating that. Oh, all those audio files would be absolutely loving this audio now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the sun plays quite a crucial role in this. This film that we're talking about this week is summer. Remember when summers seemed like endless? Oh, when you had CBBC on um, every morning. Yep. Oh, ice cream and some and the ice cream van yeah and just running around without a care in the world just throwing sticks and playing football well that was throwing sticks were you a dog growing (laughs) up (laughs) (laughs) throwing sticks at well i don't know what was throwing sticks at actually but poo sticks maybe a bit of poo sticks but yeah it was those were the days those days when you said no cares Mm -hmm. and that i think this film completely captures that yeah so much time and nothing to do nothing to do i can't imagine that now i'd love that i just want to experience that one more time but i will never get to that point again there's too much going on in the, in mm. life now yeah. including making a podcast this <laughs> this is constantly on my mind could never have that freedom ever again rod for your own back there yeah but we are in fact talking about a film called heartstone from 2016 Stein in icelandic directed by guzmundur arna guzmundsson and yeah, it tells the story of, this is where I do the synopsis. Go on then. Over the course of a summer in a remote fishing village, 14-year-olds Thor and Christian discover their sexuality as one sets his sights on a girl and the other struggles with his feelings for his best friend. Well, thankfully you have answered actually one of my questions already in this synopsis. Oh even though goodness. I've watched That's it. a one-sentence synopsis as well. <laughs> Which is, how old are they? 14. Okay. I did have to check that. Box ticked. Yeah. I mean, this is a sort of classic setup, coming of age over the course of one summer film. But one of the key things is that they're developing at different rates almost. Yeah, which is so visible. Um, 14, I think, is really that age, isn't it? Where some people look like young adults and some people look like full-on children. And that's quite at play here. Like, I don't know whether the depth 
young actors in this were the same age, but they they don't look it. No, well, Thor, he is like just tiny, He's like a tiny little <laughs> runt, isn't he, really? Uh, especially next to Christian, who's sort of definitely gone through at least some puberty and he's much taller, he's broader, mm. he's got great blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> but the contrast between the two of them is, yeah, is really noticeable. And the same with the girls, I think, as well. But this whole film just gave me absolute horrifying flashbacks to being that age and how just painful it is to be 14. Oh my God. Yeah. This is a film that totally just shows on screen the surge of hormones, oh. emotions, and the lack of any way of understanding what to do with them. Oh God, it makes me, at points, I was like, I am so uncomfortable. I want to look away. There's no <laughs> gore. There's no horror. There's nothing, um, even that horrible happening, but it's just so painfully accurate. I guess, I mean, I actually have a lot of kind of, notes of comparison Let's that it made in. me think of mm -hmm. but on the cringy note and maybe it's actually not as cringy as this film uh eighth grade bo oh, burnham's eighth eighth yeah. grade cringe is the key uh, the key theme to that film <laughs> <laughs> yeah which really captures that like desperate um intensity of everything at this age yeah it's an age that you don't see as much of in film you usually no. see a tr like children or upper teens in like high, like later high school or college, but not that little period in the middle, because which is it's why it's so weird and awkward. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I mean, how many sort of films that have copied eighth grade have come out since then? Mm. Not many. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one can bear to watch another exactly. and be reminded of how cringy it was. But um, actually, my main comparisons uh were two books that I read oh. this year. Okay. One of which is Shuggy Bane. Oh, yes. The um, Scottish. Yeah, Glaswegian. And what, and the other is a French book, a French novel called The End of Eddie, which okay. is kind of a partly autobiographical novel about a, a boy growing up in a rural French village. And for me, it was the kind of... Both of those have a, like, a gay storyline as in teenage boys realizing that they might be gay but they're also about growing up in communities that are quite desolate mm -hmm. and quite without hope and trying to find like what the point is when you're growing up in those and like dealing with brutality from adults when you're a child oh fascinating because one of the key sort mm. of themes of this film is that um the struggle within a small community to you know, sort of be the person that they don't want you to be. Yeah, and breaking out of, you know, cycles, generational violence, which we see here, kind of breaking out of that or trying to escape it if you're different in some way, mm. especially in terms of, like, masculinity. So there you go. If you enjoyed this film, check those things out. Great recommendations. Uh, and talking of the, the brutality from the parents quite a different role for a sexy priest <laughs> yeah. from Metalhead, wasn't it? Um, Svein Olafur Gunnarsson, not quite as, uh, as 
helpful. Well, he's so, so versatile as an actor, isn't he? Because I really, really believed him in this role. I was scared of him. He was horrible. Mm-hmm. Even though they told you not to be scared of him, or they told Thor not to be scared of him. I feel like when somebody has to say, don't be scared of him, there's usually a reason to be scared of that this person. Is, this is true. And I guess he provides one of the, the key counterpoints to Christian and Thor is that he's clearly a homophobe. Mm. And we hear him that he's beaten up someone's dad because they're gay and that as such they're moving to Reykjavik basically uh so growing up wondering what your feelings are and thinking that maybe you shouldn't even contemplate being gay because your because your own family couldn't accept that must be impossible mm-hmm. and uh, and we see Christian struggle with these things for the whole film don't we Yeah, and talking of comparisons, you know, there are so many basic comparisons to be made. Am I, should I tr- guess what you're I trying to say? I think you can probably guess at least one of them. Call me by your name. Yes. But this is a, re- to me, I thought from the synopsis that was going to be a real point of comparison here. Mm. But when I watched the film, I thought it was actually really very different. That's kind of idealistic, hopeful. This is a much darker tone. 100%. And I think they're slightly older as well. Timothy mm. Chalamet's character is much older. Uh, but yeah, it's that, it, a lot of what I saw as a comparison is that kind of, lingering shots of mm. skin and like lightly touching swimming costumes Sw- yes exactly and just yeah shots of topless boys and you know war- like droplets of water sweat or rain or melted snow and just all these the peach fuzz around you know the, the young i uh, mean you sound creepy but that is a, that that's is a thing. how it's shot right yeah and so in that respect it felt very similar which is interesting in that call me by your name was set in the summer in italy and here we are in iceland a place not known for being compared to italy very much <laughs> no. um, we do see the gamut of weather but for the most part the sun is out and uh, it feels very dreamlike in that respect yeah um shout out to the cinematographer Sturlebrandt grovlin who made this film just look insanely beautiful yeah it's super intimate in the way it's shot as well, isn't it? It's yeah. like a real close, as you say, lingering um, shots on people's faces and bodies. It's much less about landscape and drama as some of the other films we've seen mm-hmm. as interiority, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But also juggling those shots of when the kids go camping yeah. and they're out in the vast wilderness. The The marrying of those two kinds of shots is just seamless they both look incredible and we should say that this cinematographer did rams so there's a interesting comparison between the two films they don't they don't look the same Uh, i think this one's much more handheld and we stay close to and with thor and christian throughout whereas in that one it's much more static and much more about the landscape i suppose Mm.
Thor is our main character. He's small, young, <laughs> and we see him with his group of friends at the very beginning, the group of boys just lying around on the harbour side, mm. killing fish. Bit brutal. I mean, again, this this theme of brutality, clearly mm-hmm. that's, that is an undercurrent here. And animals, I mean, don't get treated very well in this film. But mm-hmm. I think it's this society, is this community is quite harsh and we see that being kind of brought out in the kids and maybe groups of boys are always a bit grim when they're together oh yeah 100 percent, especially in in your teens and what else are you going to do that fishing village is so small and so far away from anything that i imagine they're just looking for anything to do and it seems like thor's trying to do a good thing save his family money eat the mm. fish i didn't understand the whole mum not bringing the fish inside thing. the dynamic of the mum she was she was an interesting character to unpick, wasn't she? I think it was just that she was not capable of looking after those kids and that family. She, it wasn't that she was a bad person. She was just not kind of with it and engaged and involved sure. enough. Yeah, I, I totally... and it was a signal of that. Oh right, so the fish was like a visual metaphor for In her lack she, of that. She just can't kind of keep things going or keep her life together because she just seemed she was she clearly wasn't meant to be a bad person was no. she she just seemed a bit over overwhelmed and not able to keep up with the daily tasks and kind of what was required of her yeah I mean, is that the been, way you saw it i guess so she, i think she was trying to a certain degree they were still eating they were still all together all the time but she's been abandoned by her husband for a sounded like a very young girl but yeah, I think I think throughout this film as a whole, parents and adults are sort of sidelined and mm. almost just there to to make the point for the kids that this is where you're going to end up. Almost yeah. if you don't do something, this is where you'll be. Or even if you try and do something, you know, the only other option is to go to Reykjavik where but the outsiders go. I think that's one side of it. And don't you think there's also another side of it that in these kind of teenage things so like stand by me or any kind of classic coming of age story et even yeah there's always got to be a, an absence of parents or like a, parents have got to be at remove mm-hmm. for the fact that all these things can kind of transpire as that's well that's very true yeah like they are just kind of left to to roam free and at some point i think is it um thor's mum they've stayed over or whatever at, at the girl's house and he comes back in the morning and she says oh you went out early this morning she you know she doesn't Mm -hmm. even know that he didn't come home no and i think that's partly an important part of the plot in that it's um about parents that you know these these kids don't have much hope and they don't have much support but it's also kind of a plot contrivance as well yes i mean the two feed into each other Mm -hmm. don't they and i think there's probably part of it is that they're in this community everyone knows each other so the kids are free to just Mm. fuck off wherever they like all the time and as a kid that's kind of what you want especially with the kind of things these these guys are wanting to do like they're exploring their sexuality and you know you wouldn't want your parents around for that (laughs) thor doesn't even want his sisters around which is also fair Are fish good in Thor? Hi. 
Hvað er að frétta þér og Kristjáni? Einhverja kærustir? Já, þetta sé nú bara sáttir að höppast á hverjum öðrum, sko. Er það kæl? Þetta er satt, sko. Ég sé það að gera það. Fokkaður? Ég var að klára sem ég ljóð. Já. Ok, svo ég er ekki skapi til að hlusta á hverjum ljóð núna, sko. So Thor sort of has these interactions with his mum. Who's doing her best, I think, and she's seeing someone because why wouldn't you? The kids might not like it, but I think as an adult, they would understand. And then Christian's parents, yeah, like we said, homophobic dad, mum who we barely see, except when she seems to care for her son once he's done his thing. Um, So, yeah, we're really just focused on the kids, aren't we? So we've got Thor, Christian. So they're the best friends. And then we've got the girls, Betta and Hannah. Yeah, it is Hannah. Yeah. And then we've got the sisters, Raquel mm. and Haftis. And that's kind of our core. The wicked sisters. The wicked <laughs> sisters. I was so confused by the sisters. <laughs> there was a lot going on in the portrayal of the sisters. Yeah. And they are still teens as well. So it was sort of like, I don't even know. Are they supposed to be sort of the next step on Thor's journey? I think so. I mean, there is a lot of, as you say, like hormones flying around and it is, I guess, all about kind of understanding, finding your sexuality and how that's like an uncomfortable process. Mm. And I feel like the sisters were part of that story. Yes. In that because... there were moments that made me feel quite uncomfortable when they were kind of doing sexy dancing for their brother. To that nasty boy song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was very kind of sexual, sexualized. Um and then there's there's also the scene in the bedroom when Raquel is sort of getting changed and it's mm. lingering on her legs and mm. it's sort of like, okay, is she, are they doing these things? Because they want Thor to see them like that. Or are we just looking at it from Thor's point of view, where he's like, not necessarily, he's not attracted to his sisters, but he's starting to understand the female form. I think probably the latter. And also perhaps that it's almost like they're doing it to torture him as well at some point. Yes. Like, obviously they steal his towel and lock him outside naked. But also the (laughs) the dancing and things, it's more like... um, it's more like a kind of intimidation than a seduction. <laughs> yeah, I guess Which so. Which matches with the, you know, like, oh, he's not started puberty yet. Let's take the piss out of him because of that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, oh, you don't understand this because you're just a little child. Yeah, that's true. Because he's clearly very insecure, uh, very much so about having no pubes. <laughs> I never thought I'd say the word merkin on the podcast. <laughs> But we see him fashion a little merkin out of his sister's hair. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Um, But yeah, he's very insecure. And he goes to the pool with his friends and he doesn't want to get in the pool because he's got no hair on his body. Um, So he's clearly worrying about these things and they can see that. And these moments of uncomfortability, I guess that is the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. That as an adult, you watch the money, you're like, oh, drop me out. This is too weird and creeps me out. But... I guess the point is it's meant to be a frank look at that point of life and that a lot of people do have, you know, those cringy, awkward, uncomfortable... A a lot of it is uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, completely. And the idea of kind of 14-year-olds discovering their sexuality is really kind of 
don't like to think about it as an adult. Well, no, you? it's sort of it's one of those things like we've all been through it. Yeah. We all know how it feels. And we'll all never talk of it again. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I mean that's certainly how the parents seem to deal with this kind of stuff, especially Christian's parents because they don't talk about. We can might as well say it. We're going to say it anyway. Christian attempts to kill himself, sort of halfway through, just maybe three quarters of the way through, um, and it's just not spoken about almost at all especially by his parents they don't address it to better they don't address it to thor and they don't talk about it or we don't see them talk about it at all really but they also just don't seem to pay any attention to their kids lives at all and maybe part of that is because you know they know what they're going through Mm. and don't even want to think about it like us (laughs) (laughs) and yet we were forced to and yet here we are (laughs) kind of worries about himself and puberty and all of this roll over into the fact that he kind of fancies better although it's not quite clear at the start whether he actually does mm. but his best mate christian who is so nice sweet. what a lovely sweet, chap sweet boy yeah and he's constantly there for thor and he's always kind of helping him out getting him together with better doing what he can to to get them to kiss or just hang out and stopping him getting in trouble yes i mean he stops him getting into fights he stops bullying situations he also uh when there's a situation where thor's gonna be humiliated because he wet the bed Mm -hmm. he kind of takes the blame and um covers for him basically so he's like real great friend material yeah 100 percent best friend material and thor doesn't seem to understand or, or maybe he does understand and he's happy that way. They're clearly good friends. They get on really well. And they're always joking around with the whole touching, kissing, kind of mm. play fighting, but is it thing, which is a really interesting. And I feel like it's a very like that that teenage boy thing where you have to be like, we're just going to wrestle all the time. Mm. It's like, what's going on there? <laughs> it's quite a common thing, I think. <laughs> it well, is. Speaking from... Growing up and remembering my friends who were boys, mm-hmm. just feeling that they had to like be wrestling in some form. Yeah, you got to get that aggression Nine, out 90% somehow. 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I wonder how many of your friends were at that time thinking they mm. might be homosexual or well, the other I don't ones. Know. I can't speak for them. Well, no, clearly. <laughs> um, but when that starts to become a bit more apparent to Thor, he doesn't really know what to do with it. Mm. And I think it's really fascinating how because you know in in a heterosexual friendship often one of the two may have slightly different feelings to the other one one might fancy the other i know i've been there in the past and that's awkward enough where you're like we're really good friends let's not ruin that 
but then added on to the top that in this community being gay is not acceptable so thor's there like can't we just be friends but also absolutely can't be gay either stay the fuck away and he's like just stop being weird and we'll be fine and it's like really horrible i was i was interested actually as well because i thought because thor's our kind of clear protagonist right mm. and i thought just from the um synopsis of this film at the start it's going to be him that maybe is thinking maybe i'm gay i don't know yeah and so i but it was quite blurred lines and i think that that was well done that it was trying kind of trying stuff out and experimenting and figuring, oh, I'm not sure about this, oh, I'm not sure about that. And I think that those blurred lines did remain fairly blurred throughout. Yes, I think certainly for the first half, I wasn't mm. sure whether it was Thor or Christian who was the one who mm. might be feeling like he might be gay. Uh, but then we kind of get to the point where Thor is like, no, I want to I want to be with better. and And then, yeah, and then we sort of, we kind of stick with Thor a lot closer then as Christian starts his real struggles. We kind of drop away, don't you think? Yeah, which is which is interesting because there's a lot going on there. I feel like there's more going on there and it might have been slightly more interesting to deal with that because after this camping scene that comes like literally bang on halfway through where Better and Thor kiss and Christian and Hannah kiss and Christian sort of, he sort of, he's, he wants to try it, but he's almost, he seems sure that he's not going to, that's not what he wants. After that moment when Christian's dad comes and collars him and takes him back, it feels like Christian's on his downhill slide and suddenly we're sticking with Thor, um, which is an interesting choice. I think we do stick with Thor primarily throughout, but I, I know what you mean. Perhaps it's because... Yeah, because they're best friends, the two of them are together for the whole of the first half of the film anyway. So it, mm. to me, it just felt a bit weird when he, when he was, when Christian was out of the picture. But yeah, that is what happened. So maybe it would have been more interesting if we had an equal focus on them both. I would have liked to have known a bit more about why, well, not why Christian wanted to kill himself, but post-suicide attempt, what he was thinking. Yeah, because he really kind of vanishes then, doesn't he? Yeah. But I think... I mean, there's a lot of kind of key moments, isn't there, in the lead up to him trying to kill himself. Being that Thor says, you know, if you just stop being weird, meaning kind of if you stop kissing me, kissing me or 
kind of trying to make a move in any way or essentially being gay or hug me for as longer than necessary (laughs) (laughs) then we'll be fine which obviously would be really problematic his dad clearly is never gonna accept that and is a terrifying brutal man and also uh when haptis thor's sister says you know if you were if you were gay that would be fine Mm. But my reading of that is that he took that as everybody knows. Yeah. There's no other, there's no way out. Okay, that's interesting because I wasn't sure why that would be the moment. But I guess you're right. Once it's said out loud by someone else, he. I guess it's like I've been found out. Yeah, because the two of them have had these slurs throughout the whole film, but no one's got any concrete evidence or no one's actually said, are you gay? But yeah, Haftis does. And I think it's interesting that it comes from the one character who is perhaps more open than anyone else. She's an artist. She reads these, frankly, alarming poems at the dinner table (laughs) um, and draws and paints some incredible images and is clearly unafraid to paint them in this kind of cherubic light, shall we say. Um, But I think you're right. She's quite clearly trying to be a friend. Mm. But yeah, he can't deal with that can't accept it yeah i think it's when it goes from you know a taunt or a joke Mm. both of which you can shrug off and say well that's a load of rubbish yeah but when somebody is sincerely saying oh you know if you are gay as in like i think Think you are Mm -hmm. then that's a completely different thing isn't it it is Kristján, one thing I wanted to ask you about was what did you see as the period setting for this film? That's a good question because I was thinking the same to ask you. Because that really does impact on this storyline as in you know the storyline of being a young person realizing that you're gay is really different if you tell it in the 70s the 60s the 80s the 90s and today yeah very much very much so um and i think we we touched on it briefly when we talked about metalhead last week how it can be quite hard to judge a time period in rural iceland um and because of their age, we don't really see any kind of technology. No, so that that's doesn't... What, that was a point that I thought, well, you know, if it wanted to be, I guess if it if it wanted to be really faithful and realistic to now, it'll be hundred percent on phones. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it is meant to be relatively current. I think it's quite nice that it's not tied to any particular year. But if we look at the music choices, we've got Sugar Cubes. I think it's birthday that we hear at one point which came out in like 1987 but we've also got 
Goose Goose again um, for a, a track of theirs from the late 90s and more music from the noughties. So it's like if we judge a film's time period by the music not being anachronistic, then it's yeah, got we're, to be we're at least 2000s. At some point, yeah, at some point this century. <laughs> <laughs> at some point this century. Yeah, it's quite, it. it's only 22 years. But I thought the lack of kind of intrusive technology really worked in its favor because as soon as you see a screen i think it kind of breaks that dreamlike quality that people of our generation and perhaps not many more below us will have thinking back on our childhood of just like there was no distraction you did just go out and play on rotting machinery and <laughs> kicking fish or whatever it is there. <laughs> Why okay. were you playing on rotting machinery? Not, not Kicking me. fish in the Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the canals in the Midlands didn't have many fish in, to be fair. Um, you know what I mean, though. It's, it is kind of timeless. And I think that mm. dream, like, hazy sense of we're just floating around would have been kind of ruined with that technology. Well, just to, to pull in one of the comparisons we made earlier about, for example, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, this is kind of dream... dream Dreamy, timeless, um, buildings roman kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Fancy words. Mm. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it means coming of age. <laughs> but exactly as you say, more of a universal feel. Whereas eighth grade, for example, is so much about being a young person in a really specific time. Yeah. And I think that's important to that film. It, it gives it a different flavor it does do you think eighth grade will age as well as this film though i think it'll be seen as kind of a a moment in time captured Mm -hmm. and i think people can still associate with that and think oh yeah it's about that time in that place yeah that's fair enough i just think technology moves on so quickly these days that once you've put that in a film you can't go anywhere from there but weirdly, my memories of, you know, teenagedom are so tied up with that kind of thing in that it was all about, you know, your iPod mini, your iPod colour. And then... In your teenage years? Yeah. Wow. And and about your digital camera that you okay. had. And it was really, that stuff was really important. So maybe it wouldn't translate as well to so many audiences as this would. Perhaps not. I mean, I'm still struggling to think how you had an iPod mini in your teens. How like, We're just not the same age. So <laughs> yeah, just, we'll, we'll, we'll move past what, that. What, did you have it when you were 35? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah. Coming at this film as a male who went through that process that Thor does, there were so many moments that I just remembered from my own life (laughs) i was definitely i think i was slightly older than thor was because he's 14 what when you wet yourself at somebody's house i I never did that actually (laughs) Uh, interesting that they chose to have him actually just wet the bed rather than have a wet dream say oh yeah okay so i'm glad they did that it's more noticeable i guess yeah either way they would have had to clean those sheets and it would have been a slightly more awkward for Christian. Um, <laughs> but there were, yeah, there were a few moments. And I totally sympathise with Thor as he's trying to get to grips with fancying a girl. First kiss, hanging around in the bed. Oh, uh, all of that kind of, how do I approach this? Is the girl into it? She seems to be, but neither of them really know what they're doing. 
Um, and I totally understood all of that uh, from his point of view. But I was interested to know when, if we talk about the girls, mm. Better and Hannah specifically, how you found the portrayal of them, because it's not their film. Mm. Uh, but they seem to be slightly more, I don't know, mature. I know that's Definitely. always said. I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that girls at that age are a bit more mature than boys. But I mean, Beta, for example, looked like two years older than, I d- I, again, I don't know if she was. Well, you know who that who she is? She's young 12-year-old Hera from Metalhead. So we're moving oh. moving a few years into the future. Now she's playing a 14-year-old, but she must be older than that. Oh, of course. But I, I think back to... Um, like there's photos of my friends when we were that age and we're still friends now. Yeah. Um, where the girls look kind of just like rubbish versions of themselves, but pretty much <laughs> the same. Okay. And the boys look like like tiny babies. And we're you know, we're all the same age, but it's like hilarious to to look back on. And um I think you're right in that obviously this isn't the girls film. Mm-hmm. Which then does inevitably make you go, oh, but what's their agency here? What's their story? I think they're portrayed fairly fine. Like you say, I think they're portrayed as having a lot more idea about what they actually want mm-hmm. um, than the boys. And they're not, they are kind of given a bit of respect and a bit of um, character and decision making capacity. You mean within the, the the film making itself? Yes, yes. Because they're not given much respect in the film. Not <laughs> no, because they are like slagged off and stuff all the time. But what I mean is within the film making. Yeah. So they're quite often the ones making the decisions. They're saying, you know, let's go for a walk, which means you know, let's go outside and kiss or mm. whatever. And they're the ones kind of fairly often. I think they were given, you know, varied roles, as in they weren't all just one stock girl. Mm -hmm. And I think Beta, for example, she was given quite an interesting level of empathy that we see the boys aren't quite capable of yet. So she says uh, quite empathetically and quite maturely, do you think maybe Christian tried to kill himself because he might be gay? Mm. And that's a moment where we see she's kind of capable of having those mature conversations but Thor isn't and says, well, maybe you're just a lesbian, which is obviously the most childish response <laughs> yeah. ever. It's a, yeah, it's a less mature response, but also he's sort of entwined in that sentence himself. I think he feels like, yeah, Christian's gay, but everyone thinks I'm his gay partner and he can't handle that. Yeah. So there's a sense of him being more of a child, but also because he's entwined in it, perhaps he's, yeah, he's embarrassed. And that also was, I guess, one of the, moving on to that, that was one of the saddest aspects of it, wasn't it? Seeing how he had kind of internalized this um, homophobia mm-hmm. um, in terms of like the words he used and the way he told Christian to basically just like stop being weird. And it, clearly that was from society that had kind of trickled down and made him think and speak like that. Yeah, because all we want him to say is, it's all right. It's okay, but I'm not gay. And mm-hmm. that's all it would take. But yeah, not from a 14-year-old boy. Mm. My other point just about um, the portrayal of the girls and the women yeah. was one thing I found really interesting was the dynamic of the household with the mum, the two sisters, and Thor. Mm-hmm. Because I think often when we showed kind of dysfunctional households, 
in media in tv or films or whatever it's quite often like uh basically it's the what it's the scene that we see in christian's house which is like the abusive father who beats somebody in the kind of passive mother but it was quite interesting seeing this like really toxic dynamic between raquel the older sister and the mum mm-hmm. that were both kind of playing off each other neither of them were particularly like a terrible person but obviously wasn't a healthy no. relationship no but could, could you empathize with raquel like are they all none of them no. want she wasn't that empathetic was she not really but her so her that whole argument where they're like beat mm. like strangling each other pulling mm. each other's hair out which is pretty brutal it was brutal it's all about her it's all about mum bringing someone home and a bringing someone home is frowned upon apparently and b bringing someone home who's not even icelandic is just absolute no-no if you growing up in that situation you can kind of understand raquel's point of view even if we don't agree with it i guess it's a weird portrayal of Almost the the children are policing the parent and they're saying, your behaviour is bringing shame on us. Whereas usually, obviously, it'd be the other way around. But you don't always see those kind of family dynamics with two female figures. No, I suppose not. And the sisters were really interesting just because they're really only there to either abuse Thor, (laughs) abuse their mum, or, yeah, well, not really anything else. I don't... (laughs) I didn't really get it. They, at one point they have a party, but we don't see them negotiating their, well, teenhood either. Um, so I, I'm not sure that they were, they weren't given as much agency as perhaps mm. Beta and, and Hannah. Og ég bara verið eins og eitthvað póstrilustúka og aldrei eiga neitt vinn. Og meðan pappi ykkar er með stelpu sem er rétt eldri en þú haldis. Ég á bara að vera ein eða eilífir. Amen. Gömul langt fyrir aldrei fram bráðum. Svo hinna kellingarnir henni þorpinu. Bara svo að þið þurfið ekki að skammast ykkar fyrir að móðir ykkar í vinn. Veist það, mér er bara alveg drullu saman hvað það gerir. Ef þú vilt vera eitthvað bæjar hóra og getur bara riðið eins mörgum köllum og að langa til fyrir mér. Ertu eitthvað? Fokkinn lukkleikjöldi! Hvað er fokkinn að ekki? Það er bara að gefa þér það, það er bara að gjóra! Rakkert, oh my god! Mamma, hættu! Rakkert, mamma! Rakkert, mamma! Þetta er að gjóra! Oh my god! I love that in every kind of coming of age uh, teen film or series, I just saw your poster of Stranger Things, oh, quite a good yeah. example. Yeah. There's always like an older kid who is some kind of like punk slash bully. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. it's like, oh my God, the older kid's going to come get us. Yeah, and he does at one point. He This, this really interested me because... We're talking about this small community and outsiders and they're all dealt with negatively. 
that's whether that's gay people or non-Icelandic people, but not gingers. <laughs> what? You... The the bully is a ginger, and yeah, but maybe that's why he's a bully. Rob, have you ever thought about that? That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps no. Perhaps you're right. I just think in my in my childhood. The gingers were the ones that were always bullied mm. and were always picked on. And they were the outsiders. Um, but here, yeah, perhaps he was bullied so much he had to be... He had to become the bully. the bully. Yeah. Quite often the case. But he was a bit of a nothing character to me. Like yeah. there were times he was just kind of like generic society um, thoughts and feelings. It was basically just a like, oh, we can't do this unless... In case this generic figure of society doesn't like it. Yeah, he was sort of just a, what's the a word? A foil. Yeah. Um, we see it at the adult level, this kind of homophobia. So it's sort of, let's see it at the kids level. And he's obviously grown up with his own issues. So he's kind of spilling them. Mm. Or he's attacking other people for for those things. But yeah, so he's he's managed to, I say, I say he's managed to avoid being an outcast, but perhaps he hasn't. But the one who is treated very much as an outsider is Thor's mum's boyfriend. Boyfriend? Lover. lover I'm Not friend. She just keeps calling him friend. But Sven, the farmer, uh, played by Soren Maling, none other than Jan Meyer from The Killing. I will never see him as anyone else. He is amazing in The Killing. And I love him so much. What else have we seen him in? Because I recognise him. We haven't seen him in anything because he's Danish. Uh <sighs> But he is in, I mentioned a film called A Hijacking a couple of weeks ago. He's in that. Um, he's also in Borgen, I think. But we haven't we haven't seen him. I don't know what I've seen him in, but I was like, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's one of the, the most recognisable Scandi actors, I think. Mm. But I found it interesting that they decided to cast an actual Dane as a non-Icelander. It's so weird. To, like, it's so weird to me, that kind of xenophobia of... This guy, as he's referred to as, quote, a dirty old foreigner. God. But with, with um, you know, the fact that he's Danish, which to me is seems so kind of closely aligned with Iceland, although sort of it could be horribly wrong there. Maybe Iceland wouldn't exist if the Danes hadn't invaded. <laughs> but it's just point. interesting that in that society, anyone remotely external or from the outside is, is seen as somebody that you don't want to associate with yeah it's interesting in that so he well i don't know what he is a horse farmer lamb sheep farmer uh perhaps they see him as taking a job i don't know you just sort of think well how is this community going to exist if you don't let anyone in uh and you treat your kids well you don't even seem to treat your kids well and he's actually turns out to be one of the most empathetic characters yeah. yeah. So when they have to put his sheep down, he kind of has this conversation with them saying, you know, he, he gets the mum a necklace. He's quite kind. He's quite nice. And then later when Christian's dad is beating <laughs> him up essentially while he's wearing a pair of pants, which is really like somehow makes it way more humiliating. Mm-hmm. Sven is saying it's it's OK and saying, like, don't do that. Relax. He's actually a more gentle, kind figure. Totally, he is. He's he would be the great father figure that Thor actually needs, I imagine, uh, and that Christian needs. But because he's this outsider, he doesn't get that opportunity, or at least 
they don't want to give him that opportunity in this film. That necklace that he gives to Thor for his mum, Hulda, did he buy that? Do, I think so. Do you not? Because I sort of read it as his mum had left it with him. Because oh. he says, just say you found it. So what? I don't know whether that would be the... Why would you say that like that? Possibly, yeah. Okay. I, but yeah, it's sort of... You had a more sophisticated reason. <laughs> But then he, but then Thor gives that to Better, and that was uh, an awkward moment. <laughs> <laughs> so many awkward moments. It was literally it was if it hadn't been for the fact it was so true to life that these two minute moments happen. He literally turns up, gets off the horse, sits down, <laughs> says hi, hands over a necklace, says goodbye. <laughs> but that is how things actually happened back in the day. Yeah, you know, when you're fourteen. No, uh, you're completely... Painful. Uh, Absolutely painful. Couldn't possibly endure the pain yourself. Just chuck a necklace at someone, run away, hope they interpret it right. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we do need to talk about is the scene, the rock climbing scene. You know what? That was exactly at the tip of my tongue as well. There you go. Uh, which made me so tense. Yes. that. I mean, it looked like it was really being done. It looked fucking terrifying. <laughs> uh, I guess the purpose of this scene was to illustrate how Christian's dad was just really kind of harsh and unthinking of these were just some, you know, they're small boys. And he's like making them go off the edge of a cliff. But also to provide a moment of real intimacy between Thor and Christian that obviously was witnessed mm. by Christian's dad. Yeah, I mean, you could look at the, you could look at every scene in this film from a kind of cynical filmmaking point of view and say that scene only exists to have that hug, but it does exist to show us what Christian's dad is like. He seems kind of reckless and careless with his kids. Normally, it would be Christian who goes over the edge, but in this case, Thor goes over the edge because he hasn't hit puberty. He's much smaller. He's lighter. I assume that. That plays a big part. But did you see it partly, though, also as a punishment? So in the car there, oh. his dad says, oh, your sister wants to be an artist, right? And I heard you two are her subjects. So he's clearly heard these rumours about, you know, this picture of them together, which basically infers they are gay lovers, mm. which obviously is not the case. But the fact even that rumours, those kind of rumours would be circulating, he would be concerned about. And do you not think that he's making him go over the edge when he clearly doesn't want to as partly like a... 
yeah punishment i think you're probably yeah you're probably right there it's there's a, there's a magnitude of reasons because he could pass that off as well thor's easier to lower but yeah i think you're right i think he's probably angry because uh, mm. we know that he doesn't like it um but that whole scene jesus i was like well firstly i recognized where they were and i was like i've been there <laughs> and then i was like i definitely wouldn't want to go over the edge there. just on he's like not even got a full-on harness on it's just sort of tied around the waist being held by one rope oh Brutal. god So there, where they are there is in South Iceland, just near Vík, a place called, and I'm going to get this 100% wrong, Dyrahole, which is, yeah, you can you can walk from the Black Sand Beach at Vík all the way along and then up the mountain to the lighthouse, and where they are is just literally next to the lighthouse. Um, but I was curious, because, like, are they just stealing eggs? Yeah, it's what? very Victorian Isn't thing it? to do. Yeah. Uh, but I did some reading up. And apparently it's not illegal. Oh, really? Um, it's just a traditional thing that happens in Iceland that you can collect seabird eggs. I think, you know, I don't know how many people actually like them. And there are a range of different birds. But you can you can go over, collect as many as you like. And apparently because it's been happening for hundreds, if not thousands of years, no one's put any kind of law in place because it's not destroying any species. I mean- it does feel like there's maybe some ecological issues there, but I wonder what a sea gull egg tastes like. Yeah, a sea bird egg. I don't know. Do you think it tastes, you know, like marini, or do you think it tastes just because people say that um, seagulls taste really fishy? If you eat seagull meat, yeah. Who have you been speaking to that's eating <laughs> seagulls? Well, like historically, if you were in like um, if you were on an Antarctic voyage, for example. You probably eat like a couple of seagulls, a few albatross, but apparently they're yeah. really oily Ew. and quite fishy. Yeah, I can believe that. I guess a, whatever you feed an animal sort of works its way into the meat. Like, why, for example, there's loads of seagulls, but we don't eat seagulls. So I imagine they don't taste that nice. No, but we also don't eat pigeons, rats. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. I'm sure you can eat a seagull if someone, if you, if you really wanted to. I but, don't really want to, just to clarify. Okay, fine. But if if you ever do get to go to Iceland, and if someone wants to let us come to Iceland and try some seagull eggs, we're totally up for it. Oh, I try a seagull egg. It's not just seagulls. In fact, I'm not even sure if it is seagulls. <laughs> uh, I don't think they'd bother going over the edge of the cliff for seagull eggs, would they? No, I don't think they're that pretty either, are they? 
I think you've got things like Kitty Wakes, mm-hmm. uh, uh-huh. Although I, Gillamot's such a pretty bird and a pretty name. Never really thought about eating their eating eggs. Eating their eggs. Uh, and Murs? Murs? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't, the way you said it, I don't got, know either. Sorry, no idea. But also puffins. I don't know if you're allowed to eat puffin eggs, but they were. I don't think they were picking up any puffin eggs. Um, eggs aside, would you eat a seagull? Probably I'd try not. It. I'd try if, it. If someone presented me with a cooked seagull, maybe, maybe I would. Uh, but I've never really thought about it, to be honest <laughs> with you. I think an eggs, I would have more of a. How bad can I'd have an a egg go be? at an egg? An egg can't taste that dodgy, can it? As long as it's fresh. Put it in an omelette, be fine. Yeah. So that scene was filmed at Dirahale, but the majority of the film was shot up in the northeast of Iceland, near Siglifjörður, uh, which is, yeah, very remote. From my travels, it's not even worth trying to get there in the winter because you just won't make it. So we're talking about as remote as you can get, as far from Reykjavik as possible. So, you know, if we're thinking about how isolated the village is and how mm. these people don't deal well with outsiders then yeah i can kind of believe makes a lot more sense yeah it's a long way to Reykjavik, uh but people seem to be headed there where else are you gonna go no it's a lot more welcoming it seems to to artists and um non-heterosexuals i suppose and you know Reykjavik has a reputation as being really really inclusive and has a great pride every year and it's just it's a great city i won't go on about Reykjavik. I wonder how they would feel about tourists then. Not nece- I'm sure tourists wouldn't necessarily just rock up to their town. Mm. But, you know, in the interests of getting nice photos of cliffs and whatever, I'm sure they must run into them. Do you think they hate tourists? I reckon it's one of those where they're like, ooh, economically, tourists are useful, but secretly and socially we hate them. Yeah, I reckon you're right, actually. I hope they don't hate me. Oh, they do. <laughs> you just didn't know it. <laughs> oh, God. We've not had any negative feedback like that yet. I hope we don't. <laughs> They're reluctant to to accept outsiders, like we've already said, and and gay people. And this culminates in Christian attempting to kill himself with Sven's gun, not Chekhov's gun. <laughs> we've seen this gun already kill a sheep. So he knows it's there. We know it's there. Although I wasn't prepared for it to actually be used in this context. No, I really didn't see this coming. It was quite a, a kind of left turn, wasn't it, in the mm. in the narrative, which had been fairly slow paced. Not a lot kind of, not a lot of definitive moments happening. And this was definitely one of those. But even this as a definitive moment, I think quite mercifully and in a way that was well considered, we didn't really see... 
what happened and then we kind of it all went a bit under wraps yeah this is that kid's sort of defining moment and we yeah it's off camera and once it happens thor doesn't even find out initially i thought that was a really interesting moment mm. just after thor sleeps with better I, sh- I think that's what we're supposed to yeah. infer he walks home not knowing what's happened and everyone's sort of looking at him and i just thought what does what must he be thinking Really Are they ominous. sort of shaming him because he thinks the words got out that he's slept with better? Or what? what is he thinking? I don't know what he's thinking, but I guess they're all looking at him going, we know something, he clearly doesn't know it yet, and it mm. affects him more badly. I thought that was a really well-judged moment, actually, of this kind of ominous sense of, like, something terrible is coming, but what might it be? Yeah, and Thor almost doesn't get told... Like his mum's like, something happened, there was an accident. But then his sisters are just like, fucking tell him. Mm. Um, but you're right, it kind of happens and then Christian goes away and we don't really see him again. But I think that maybe also is fairly true to life in terms of when those things happen, people are quite scared to talk about them and scared to address them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if somebody has like an agricultural accident or whatever that hospitalized them you could you could um debate in depth all of the elements of that whereas i think if something like this like somebody tries to hurt themselves or kill themselves happens people are much more silent about it people are scared to talk about it and address it and i think that's what this kind of shows yeah there's a stigma attached i suppose and for a character who's already feels like he's on the outside to then be that kid who tried to kill himself that's oh god like he's just made it even worse for himself in a way so when you hear that he's going to move to Reykjavik it's kind of a blessing isn't it it's It's sad for their friendship but it's also maybe he does need this fresh start and this new vista do you think his parents will split if they go to Reykjavik that's what it said isn't it because um Beta tells Thor his parents are getting divorced oh yes of course yeah which hopefully is with the mum not the dad Hopefully, although she was clearly that kind of stone cold, unemotional mum until the moment that someone actually expressed emotion towards her. And then she, that sort of cathartic moment where she can finally let it let her emotions go was really sweet, even if Betty was using it to buy time. Um, other question. Do you think Thor and Christian will see each other again? No. That's brutal, isn't it? Pretty bittersweet. But don't you it? feel like those kind of things... It's call me by your name. You brought this up earlier. It's this idea of, oh, I'll see you next summer. I'll see you next summer. You have a really intense emotional experience with somebody. But that's the whole point, that it's only that because it can't last. It has to end and then be something that you reflect on later when you're an adult. Yeah. It's a, like you say, coming of age. These These are the moments that define you to a degree. And for Thor, I mean, by the end, with the final shot, you can you can see that he's grown so much in this one summer. I mean, he doesn't have any more hair yet, but he, he's grown. <laughs> <laughs> he's grown and it's, I mean, it's relatively heavy handed, but he sees another sort of slightly younger kid playing with a fish. And I guess you're kind of supposed to think, well, there's the next kid who's going to have to go through something similar. Hopefully not so intense this time. Hopefully not. Although it does feel like this town hasn't moved on. Thor's grown up, Christian's moved out, but the town 
remains the same. And that's not a particularly nice way to end a film, I suppose. Yeah, it's a bittersweet ending, isn't it? Yeah. It is a bit long, though. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very considered. It's yep. very thoughtful. It's very reflective. But it is a bit long. You could have cut one or two of the same kind of moments out, I think. Like, we didn't really need them going to get booze from the party. Or, I don't know, one more scene with the four of them together. Mm-hmm. Just It just felt like, yeah, we understand, but move on. But in the context of the film, it is just moments that happen throughout this one summer. So it, it makes sense. It just didn't need to be two hours ten, does it? Yeah, I think it could have been a one hour fifty and been... And delivered just as much. So we've seen this was like a very sort of sumptuous, sensuous, beautiful looking film with a very kind of specific feeling and tone to the whole thing. And that is totally down to director Guzman de Arno Guzmanson's kind of story uh, and Stola Brandt Groveland's cinematography. The story came from the director's own kind of experiences. He had a friend as a teen who'd killed himself and that got kind of his the ideas going and that's where this story came from but he's got a new film coming out later this year called beautiful beings uh don't know anything about it i've heard great things mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll be able to talk about that i'd be some very point interested in to see more of his work yeah so fingers crossed we'll get to talk about that but this is it this is episode six <gasps> of series three we're done we've made it we made it and this series has kind of been a little bit less funny would you say <laughs> yeah i mean we haven't had a huge amount of laughs few no. laughs in of horses and men but mainly based on death and murder so yeah <laughs> i think that's fair there's been a lot of death a lot of grief lots of animals mm. lots of nature but yeah less of the less of the fun so uh maybe we'll we'll uh, rectify that next series and i guess it's just for us to say thank you to everybody for listening Hopefully you've enjoyed some of the films and our rambling chats about them. Yeah. Yeah. We've had lots of lovely comments so far this series and we love everyone who's listening and thank you all for kind of getting in touch and pushing us up the podcast charts. You know, we're fighting it amongst the big boys here uh, and doing quite a good job because of everyone who's listened. So thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Do you want to try that in Icelandic? Tak koble. (laughs)
Ending this series with Heartstone was a fantastic idea, if I do say so myself. A, because it's great, and B, because it's got me all fired up for the summer now. I just want to get out in the sun and roam around without a care in the world. If I could do that in Iceland, that'd be even better. I'm really looking forward to Beautiful Beings coming out this year, and a whole bunch of other new Icelandic films too. Here in the UK, we've still not had Trap Series 3, if someone could please sort that out. Until we return, thank you all once again for listening and for all your support over the last year. And thank you to all the Icelandic creatives and incredibly talented people involved in every area of all the films we've discussed so far. We appreciate and are passionate about the amazing work you do. Without you, we wouldn't have made it to the end of three series. Ellie and I will return at some point, so keep your eyes peeled on Insta, Twitter and on your podcast feeds and I'll try to keep streaming links updated on the socials too. If you'd like to support us on Ko-fi, we're at www.ko-fi.com slash K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. And to take advantage of our collaboration with Mubi, go to www.mubi.com slash where you can get a free 30-day trial to catch up with some of the films we've covered on the podcast. That's it for now. Speak soon. Tack bless. Thanks and goodbye. But um, it's been a lot of fun anyway. Um, Will I see you again? Who knows? Maybe. (laughs) Will he see me again? Probably.